From the EPR Creation Studio, this is the Unconquered Podcast. I'm Jason Staples. You thought I wasn't going to be back for another couple months, didn't you? So um, we're going to just go ahead and jump in here. This is the... I'm going to look at the depth chart that was just released and also field some questions that have come in <laughs> for the past couple months. So I'll be uh, fairly selective with the questions, but uh, we'll work through those. So before I get started, as always, this podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing the best of website development and internet marketing for an affordable price. They built showthesafeties.com for me, and if you haven't signed the petition for viewing angles that allow us to see the passing game on television, please do so. All right, let's go ahead and get to the depth chart. So the post-camp depth chart has been released, and uh, a few things worthy of note on this. And since I haven't been able to do a whole lot of commentary on camp, this also will serve as uh, some discussion of some of the changes that have been made in camp and, and some of those things as well. So the first thing that sticks out to me on this, especially thinking about what they've done during camp, is I think they've done, they recognized what one of the big problems on defense was last year. And I think they've done a good job of finding a way to help shore that up. And that specifically is they were really bad on the boundary last year. So the boundary corners gave up some terrible numbers. Just to put it in perspective, the two primary uh, boundary corners last year were Akeem Dent and Jerrion Jones, both of which dealt with injuries at different points in the season. Jones played through it most of the year. But if you look at the numbers given up at the cornerback position from on the boundary side, Dent gave up an NFL passer rating of 158.3 from that spot last year, while Jerry and Jones gave up an NFL passer rating of 137.2. So when those two guys were targeted, they gave up 137.2 rating and 158.3 rating on the year. Now, just to put it in perspective, the best passer rating in the NFL last year was Aaron Rodgers at 121.5. So basically, every team that played Florida State last year, when they threw to the boundary side, when they threw against the boundary corner, their quarterback was better than Aaron Rodgers. That's, um, that's, that's tough on a defense, especially since in college you generally put your best wide receiver on the boundary side and you try to throw more to the boundary side, especially if you have some weakness at quarterback because they're shorter throws. So you really want to have a corner who can take away as much as possible on the boundary. Now that means that usually you're going to have that corner, even if he's better, is going to give up a little better, num a, a little bit higher numbers on the boundary side because it's a tougher cover, but you've got to do better than that. And I think the, the change that they made with Travis J as the primary guy there. Now there is an or with uh, with Jerry and Jones, who now that he's healthy, the coaching staff really likes him. But Travis J at that position, I think, brings something to the table that neither Dent nor nor Jones really bring, and that is he is, I think, the best athlete on this team. And I've said that since you know he was recruited that this guy he, there's a fluidity and a smoothness to his game, just in terms of overall athleticism. That and also size that I think uh, he he really has a potential to shore up that spot. And reports from camp were that he was arguably the most consistent player in the secondary from that spot uh, during camp. So I'll, I'll take that. 
Uh, and I think the other thing is that Jay is a reliable tackler in space and is good run support. And they ask a lot from the boundary corner in run support. And there were times last year where they weren't good in run support either on that side. So that to me is something that's a change that they made in camp that I think is a really important change that allows them to get a lot better and moving Dent, who is a really talented player to free safety where he's now the starter should allow his traits, his, his skill set to flourish much more than what he was doing at the corner position. And, and of course there's been some, uh, some discussion in uh, on how the, the coaching staff arrived at, at that move that they put him through some, some testing that basically uh, NF, some NFL teams use to determine the, best position for a guy in the secondary. And they determined that he was actually better suited for safety than corner. And I agree with this because if you watched him, he he's a sudden guy. He's got some burst. He's got some good long speed. He's got good size. He's got all of these pieces that you want in a good, in a good uh, secondary player, but he doesn't turn and run quite as smoothly as what you'd like. He's not quite as, as, uh, as fluid in terms of, the transition and some of the, the foot quickness stuff that you want off the line of scrimmage. And I think that's where those are areas where I thought Jay was better. And I was actually surprised before when they had Travis Jay at safety. This was something that, that when they, when, when Jay started at safety, I was a bit surprised because I thought he was going to be a corner from the beginning based on his high school stuff and then dent at corner. So I think that that's that shift alone makes the secondary better and it raises the ceiling of the secondary significantly because you have two five-star guys in your secondary and if they perform like five stars then suddenly you've you look a whole lot better as a defense so that in itself i think goes a long way but the biggest thing is again can they can jay shore up the boundary both in in one-on-one coverage as a, as a cover corner and in run support when they bring when they ask that from the from the boundary corner I think that can make them a lot better and then of course you've got Keir Thomas on the inside there I think so there's been a lot of talk about this and going all the way back to uh to when they when they first got these guys to commit and I talked about this months ago I do think that Thomas is a good fit for what Florida State wants on the edge I do think that uh that Johnson is really really good and has a chance to be uh, a, a better fit for what Florida State wants from their uh, from their defensive end position, but I will say I you know Florida State lost two guys who yeah they underachieved st- statistically and overall at Florida State, but the fact is Janarius Robinson and Josh Kando are still playing on Sundays, so I don't expect a whole lot of improvement in terms of the edge in ways that are are traceable to, well, they've got better players there. The, the improvement would be because they've got better fits for what they, for what they want. But I do think that Keir Thomas can, can help on the edge there. And, and in particular with being more of a physical presence at the Fox position than maybe what they had in terms of, of setting the edge at times. Hopefully that comes out. I do think Jermaine Johnson is going to be more of a factor in the pass rush area than what they had from from the defensive end position last year. But the big thing for me is, can they find a way to be better against the run on that side? Some of that's going to have to do with the will linebacker. Some of that's going to have to do with whether or not they're able to 
to get some physicality and have the guys that, that will linebacker in the right spots when uh, when they're when they're facing teams who are running to the boundary side. But to me, that's a big step forward is just having the edge set with a good big body and Keir Thomas. Hopefully, Quayshawn Fuller ends up panning out in terms of his backup. He, you know, plenty talent, plenty of talent, but you know, I'm very much wait and see on him. And uh, and and again, hopefully, uh, Travis J can bring some stability, and also a healthy Jerrion Jones when he's in there at that spot can bring some stability to the boundary corner spot to to bring uh, to force teams to have to do something else. And I think that's that will go a long way. Uh, for making this defense significantly better. And again, that's that's a starting point. But it's not where they where they end. Now we look at linebacker. At linebacker, not really a bunch of surprise given how things were in camp. DJ Lundy listed as the starter at Mike, Kalen Deloach as the starter at Will, and Amari Gaynor at Stud. They're not going to be in that 4-3 alignment all that often. Uh, I, I against the personnel that they're facing you're not going to see that a ton. Now, I think this week, you probably are going to see that a bunch. And so you put Amari Gaynor at the stud because you want to make sure that he's the guy that that you're hand, that's handling the, uh, the tight ends and different things more often with a little more size, a little more physicality and length. Deloach is a really key player here. If he can actually be physical, that was the issue with him last year. He's a good cover guy, actually, as far as their their linebackers. I mean, he's, is he an elite cover guy? No, but in terms of the, of the roster, he's, just, he's one of the better uh, range guys that they have and can really move. If he can actually be physical and, and win at the point of attack when guys and, and trigger downhill and win going forward and making tackles that again, makes this defense a lot better. And then when they go to the four, two, five, which is going to be the default most of the year, then you can have Gainer at the will and Deloach at the at the mic, or Deloach at the will and Gainer at the mic. The the two inside backers are pretty interchangeable in this defense, so you know you can kind of work with those guys in those roles, and potentially be pretty good. Now Lundy at two sixty, basically two fifty five, bit oversized for uh, for this kind of football era that we're in with all the passing uh, as the as the priority, but. There's no doubt about how physical he is. And when you're playing against a team like Notre Dame that is going to try to pound you and that's going to line up in, you know, traditional tight two tight end or tight end and fullback type sets, then maybe, you know, maybe he's actually a good fit for what you're seeing there. And certainly a guy that in shorter yardage and when the field gets a little bit more compressed, you you can you can win with on the field there. But I do think that over the course of the season you're going to you're going to see the quicker backers be more featured over the course of the year. So, uh, and, and even against Notre Dame, given the speed of some of their backs, you do have to worry a little bit about whether Lundy is, is going to be just a little bit, just a step slow, just because of size. And, you know, that's, we'll see, we'll see. But the linebacker position is, is the concern, the primary concern for the defense in, in terms of what they're, they're putting out there with starters that I think the other big concern with this defense is I'm actually pretty comfortable with the, with the starting, starting group. I mean, I think Jermaine Johnson, Dennis Briggs, Lovett Cooper at the nose tackle split in time, Keir Thomas, Amari Gaynor, Jamie Robinson, Travis J, Brendan Gant, Akeem Denton, Jarvis Brownlee. I think that first group can actually be a pretty good defense. That can be a competitive defense. 
personnel-wise, that group is, you know, they're, they're top half of the ACC at least and probably top three or four in the ACC in terms of that group. The problem is when you look behind him and you go, hmm, man, it's thin. Do I trust that guy? Do I trust Jarrett Jackson or a true freshman Joshua Farmer as the backup to Dennis Briggs? Do you, you know, what, what are you going to get out of Quayshon Fuller based on what you've seen? You got transfer Cortez Andrews, who, yeah, he's got some talent, but transfer Cortez Andrews and then uh, recently moved Jadarius Green McKnight as backups at, at, uh, at linebacker. Steven Dix is another backup at linebacker. You got a true freshman backup at, at the nickel spot. Yes, he's played well in camp, but he's a he's a freshman. You've got, you know, what are you going to get from from some of the backups here, and how how much depth are you really going to have in terms of what they're able to put out there? That's the that's the big concern. Are they going to wear down, particularly up front, just because they don't have the bodies? This is not the Florida State of old where you can rotate, you know, three ends on each side and three defensive tackles and play 12 guys on the defensive line. They just they they don't have that. So how well are these guys going to hold up over the course of the season? But I think overall, when you look at this defense, you go, you know, if if they get top level play, if they get play to the potential of the guys that are at the positions that they're at, they could be pretty good. The big weakness, though, like I said, the one place where if I'm an offensive coordinator that I'm attacking, I am putting a target on those linebackers, particularly when they're in the 4-3 on Lundy, I'm going to make those guys cover. And I'm going to make them prove that they can cover. And I'm also going to try to isolate Deloach in the running game to see if if he's willing to come up and be physical and make tackles. That's what I'm going to do as an offensive coordinator. Those are the biggest question marks on the starting group. So, all told... Pretty good. Pretty positive stuff. Then we're going to go ahead over to the offensive side. They've got an or on Jordan Travis or Mackenzie Milton. I think realistically speaking at this point, that's Jordan Travis. Uh, that's that's the primary guy right there. And then, and then of course, KZ is going to, he's going to play. But the question is how much and how much is he going to be able to contribute? He's got some, some thing. He does some things that Travis doesn't do so well, but again, I've gone back through the through the tape, and I'm hoping to be able to post a little bit of that on the uh, Patreon page before uh, before the Notre Dame game. I'm going to post a little bit of that of, of analysis of the Auburn game uh, that he played in the bowl game. That was back before he got hurt, and basically you'll get to see some some limitations that he brings to the table as well. That that UCF team, his numbers were great, but he was not elite even in that case as a thrower. The big thing is, can Florida State stay healthy at those spots with the way that those guys play? They both play out of the pocket a good bit. They're both going to take some shots. Jordan Travis is going to have to run a good bit in this in this offense because he's the best running back on this team. So how much insurance are you going to have just from, from those two quarterbacks? Are they both going to be able to finish the season healthy? That's the big question. Beyond that, the running back position is what it is. You've got some guys that are that are good players. Corbin and Toafili, they're 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 good players, but they're not elite. They're not, and and the, the real question is, you know, Florida State's used to having difference makers at that at that running back position who can change the scoreboard, and these are not really those guys. The good thing about that, though, is that Mike Norvell's scheme and his system, the biggest thing that everybody knows who faces him, and everybody knows in in the college game in terms of what Norvell brings to the table, is he's going to find ways to generate and manufacture running running lanes and rushing yards for guys that may not be 
as talented, he's going to find ways to get to to get his team to be successful in the running game. So, if you're going to have a weakness, you'd like it to maybe be that on offense, but it sure would help to have guys that are going to bust the game open more than what you kind of expect from this group uh, when the offensive line and tight ends and such do actually give them space. Jordan Travis, though, of course, is a guy that can do that. Now, at wide receiver, no surprises there. Helton, Wilson, and Parchment as the as the starters. And Malik McLean knocking at the door behind Parchment, and we'll see how that goes. I mean, that's I think McLean has a chance of of uh, of taking a step forward this year, and uh, and is going to make some noise trying to push Parchment. And if Parchment's not consistent, and he you know doesn't do what they need to at that nine spot at that uh, at that split end position, then McLean will get his opportunities. So uh, so yeah, ideally though, Helton Wilson and Parchment do their jobs and those guys are solid if nothing else and i think helton i mean all three guys actually run well enough to make big plays it's just a matter of they're not gonna they're not we're not talking peter warwick out there in terms of catching a five-yard ball and turning it into 80 that's just not what you have at the wide receiver position again not you don't have that dude but you got pieces that you can that, that can make big plays again guys that can run not quite as much size, maybe, as what you'd like in in the uh, in the long haul, but you've you've got some backups that that have that, and just given the quarterback situation, given the wide receiver situation, the the real thing that they're going to have to depend on is being able to get into good down and distance scenarios so that they can throw when they want to throw instead of throwing when they have to throw. That's the big that's the big thing here. If they're throwing when they want to throw and they're able to do this on RPO game and play action and that sort of thing. These guys can actually win some some battles downfield. But again, that's a big if. That's that's what they're going to have to do. And then McDonald Wilson at tight end, no surprise there. Then you look at the the offensive line and I, you know, I look at this offensive line and I might be crazy, but the starting unit is a unit you can win with. Robert Scott is decent at at, at left tackle. You have a natural tackle. I think he's more of a natural right tackle than he is a left tackle. But 6'5", decent length, he can play tackle. And with some starting experience, if he can actually be be a solid player at the left tackle spot and stay healthy and solidify that position, all right, bully for that. And then Darius Washington on the other side, I think he projects really more as a guard down the line, but again, a longer guy in terms of, of his arms than his than his height. And a guy that's that's played well before. And has some experience. So do you do you actually feel okay with those guys? Yeah, I think I do. And then the best thing here is you go Gibbon, Smith, and Love Taylor across the, the board, across the, the inside. And Love Taylor's at the position that he's more natural at. Now, of course, I think one of the reasons that he moved inside on this roster is because coming off the injury, I mean, how well is he moving do you really want him in space as opposed to inside? But the thing is, when he was at guard last year, he was the best guard on the team. Can he play at that level this year? If so, all right. Then you got Maurice Smith, only 280. A little light in the butt to uh, to anchor against some of the bigger guys. But, you know, he's he's a, a at least a serviceable center at this stage. And projects, and you're talking about a guy that's still a redshirt freshman thanks to the COVID uh, additional year. A guy that could really be a a quality player long term, and then you got Dylan Gibbons. So 
playing against his uh, his his old team in this first game. But the best thing about Dylan Gibbons is that he puts Dante Lucas into the first backup, first guy off the bench situation instead of the you know first, second, and third uh, false start situation on the field. So you know Lucas never got the chance to get seasoned by sitting and watching a little bit initially. And I think that's been one of the biggest problems with Florida state's offensive line. We've talked about this for a couple of years now. One of the biggest problems they've had on the offensive line is that they've not had a chance to let younger guys actually develop before they're on the field. And then they get dinged up and then they don't develop and so on and so forth. I think this is good for Dante Lucas to, to have a year to, to sit for a little bit and to be a guy that can rotate in when, when you want him in there. He's one of your more talented guys. Can you can you get more out of him this way in the long haul? I think so. So if D- if Dylan Gibbons can be a uh, a solid player at that left guard spot, then you know you feel like this group Scott Gibbons, Smith, Love Taylor, and Washington, if they can stay healthy, can they be average? I think they could actually be passable. I think that group could be okay. Still not. I mean, you're still going to struggle against better defensive lines like Notre Dame, like Miami, like Clemson, those types types of teams. They're not. This is not a, a, an offensive line that's just going to mow over you, and they're going to have some problems in pass protection at different points. But if that starting group can stay healthy, you feel okay about that. But that's the tr- that's the rub. If you lose one of those tackles, you're and especially if you lose Scott, you're you're in trouble. There's not a whole lot behind him. Once again, it's a, it's a depth issue. You know, you don't want to have redshirt freshman Lloyd Willis coming in at this stage. He He's a super talented guy, but he's still got a long way to go. In a year or two, you're, you're comfortable with, with Willis in there. Right now, he's not ready. And you don't want him to have to play. You want him to be to be gaining the the skills and confidence that he can have for two years from now so that he can be, he can live into the ceiling that he has. And at six, seven, three thirty, with as long as he is. And with the feet that he's got, the ceiling is really high, but you want him to be able to get that by, by learning right now. So the, the key thing is for these guys to stay healthy. And in recent years, that has not been the case. So hopefully if you're, if you're looking at this as Mike Norvell, you say, hopefully storms and the group really, earned their paychecks, and then you've got a little bit of uh, of luck as well to try to keep these guys healthy, and they could be passable. They could be okay. And you combine that with all of the stuff that Norvell does in terms of um, in terms of the running game, and you could actually find some ways to manufacture yards. The problem is, are you going to find ways to manufacture big plays? Because that's the game these days. And, and you look at the offense and you just wonder... Who's going to be the playmakers? Who who are going to be the uh, who are going to be the difference makers on this roster? And that's where my questions really come in, and that's I think where the limitations of this offense come in. They're this, they're going to have to find ways to manufacture points because there aren't a whole lot of guys that just change the scoreboard on this on this roster. I really don't see any that change the scoreboard on this roster, and that's that's the big issue. But I think this group you you go Scott Gibbons Smith Love Taylor and Washington there's going to be fewer mistakes from that group than some of the guys that have in the past had more procedure penalties, holding penalties, stupidity penalties, different things like that. 
And the less you can shoot yourself in the foot as an offense, the more chances you're going to give yourself. And that's all the more the case on an offense where the explosive potential, I think, is more limited with this group. So that, that's kind of where, where I see things as the, uh, as the depth chart goes. Talk a little bit more about the uh, special team stuff uh, a little bit later, but we'll go ahead and move into the mailbag portion of the show. And like I said, I've got a bunch of these. I'll probably put a few in a couple other uh, podcast episodes as well. Uh, so, you know, if, like I said, I'm having to be selective here. Uh, but these, uh, this section, the, uh, the mailbag brought to you by Lewis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, the best in the business in the Jacksonville area. If you have any real estate needs or if you want to send business his way, if you want to refer someone to someone in the Jacksonville area, Lewis is the best in the business and tell him you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. So I'm going to dip down into the mailbag here. And the first one is, why didn't we see any quick slants, 12-yard square ins, or any curls with Jordan Travis playing quarterback? Is that part of Norvell's offense, or is it because Travis is not good at throwing them? Well, last year, it did have a lot to do with the limitations of the offense. And it's not just the quarterback position. It also has to do with the offensive line and just the tools that you're, that you're working with across the board. So that was not Travis's strong suit in terms of throwing. It also, because you're, the, those rhythm passes, those are actually some of the hardest passes that you're going to throw. And they're the, the riskiest things because you're throwing where a ball that goes up in the air, a ball that's overthrown or that sort of thing is picked. So th- those are higher risk plays on the, uh, on, the, on the first side of that. And then secondly, if you aren't really solid on the offensive line, you're not confident about what you've got there and then you're getting pressure from in the face of the quarterback, it's harder to throw those. You've got to have a little space. You've got to have a little bit of, of, uh, of a pocket for your quarterback to, to be confident in throwing those things. Uh, there is a little bit of an aspect that this is part of Norvell's offense. Norvell does like to stretch the field horizontally and vertically, and you, you are going to see when he has a quarterback he's confident in, they'll work the, the inside of the field a good bit, but his offense really starts with work the edge, work the vertical down the edge, and then work inside. That's just kind of your your hierarchy there. And last year, they really didn't get into the inside part of the field all that much for those reasons. So I think you're going to see a, a decent amount more of that this year, partly because I think the offensive line and the interior is going to be a little better partly because Travis has made some strides in terms of his ability to throw there. And certainly Casey Milton can make those throws. But uh, I think the biggest thing is working into more of the RPO game and some of the glance routes and some of those things, you're going to see some of those five-step glance routes. They look like a little bit longer slants. You're going to see more of those things in the running game than what you've seen in the past at Florida state, just because of uh, what they're doing schematically as they get comfortable in this system. Next question. How does Milton compare to Travis? A better intermediate thrower? Um, The biggest difference is Travis is basically a tailback with the ability to throw. And so the biggest difference is that Travis brings you some things in the running game that Milton at this stage, stage, especially post-injury, can't. Uh, Milton's a little bit more of a natural timing guy in terms of his intuition and his touch. Uh, Not a big arm, but he kind of reminds he's kind of a poor man's Danny Werfel in some ways in terms of what he brings to the table as a thrower. Uh, he's not going to throw it through the wall, but he's he's going to see things and throw with anticipation and touch and give his guys the chance to run through the ball. And that that's something that I think he did pretty well at um, 
at UCF. But neither one is an especially consistent thrower. I mean, Milton was very hot and cold at UCF. It's just that they were so much better on the edge and in terms of the athletes that they put out there than the teams that they played, that that was not that big of a uh, of, of a concern most of the time for him. But like I said, a little bit more hot and cold in terms of his accuracy at times, uh, had a tendency to, uh, to sail the ball, partly due to his uh, release mechanics at times. But um, I think also the bigger thing in terms of it's not so much that he's a better intermediate thrower than Travis. I think he throws a, a where he is a more consistent thrower and a, and a more reliable thrower is really on the, on the bucket throws and more in the, the deeper type stuff where that's really where his touch flashes. And he's going to, he's going to be able to throw guys down the field. When you give him any sort of pocket, he, he's able to, uh, to, to put the ball down the field and drop it in the bucket when you've got a guy that is uh, is running a vertical. He also is a more natural back shoulder thrower than uh, than Travis certainly has, has shown up to now, although that's such a big emphasis in the Norvell offense that I'm sure that that's basically all they threw over the course of, of the summer is to, to get used, used to that uh, that emphasis on the back shoulder throw. But those are the primary things. And, and again, I'm, uh, I'm planning on, before the Notre Dame game, releasing a little bit of... Uh, of that UCF uh, analysis of some UCF stuff from Milton on the Patreon page. So uh, next question, what do you think about Amari Gaynor at inside linebacker? Well, I think he's essentially playing out of position. I think he actually is a more natural edge. He's 237 pounds. You'd like him to play at about 245 and I think be on the edge. I think he's your best, uh, your potentially your best pass rusher, maybe behind Jermaine Johnson. So, you know, I, I've always thought he moved, he, he, he worked best moving forward rather than backpedaling or moving backward. But I think he's a good enough athlete to be able to do it. The real question is how well is he going to be able to recognize and trigger at that inside position? It's just a totally different world in there. And, you know, he's been there long enough that maybe it works. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe he, he actually becomes that guy in there, but I think the main reason that he's playing out of position there is because they don't have any other bodies that can do what he does and be good players in there. And I think he can be a good player in there. It's just not his most natural skill set. It's probably not where he individually would be most likely to flourish. I just think it's pro he's probably the best guy on this team at that role. So, so that's kind of my thoughts on that. Can Robert Scott play left tackle? Is he athletic enough? Yes and yes. He's athletic enough. He can do it. Is he an NFL left tackle? No. Is he going to be a, a guy that, um, is, is he a, a prototype? Is he going to be able to shut that side down on his own? Probably not. I think he's a little bit more suited. I think he's athletic enough, but I think he's more suited to be more of a right guy. Though those differences are breaking down a little bit these days in the game uh, because more but more spread sets mean that both the right and the left are in space just as often, or pretty pretty close to. But I think he can be a above average left tackle given reasonable amount of experience. I think right now the question is is he going to be is he going to be average? I mean, you don't want redshirt freshman starting tackles. You just ideally you don't want that. But that's where they're at. But so is Notre Dame this week. They're starting a true freshman at, at, at left tackle. So we'll see how that goes for them, right? I mean, it's a bold strategy, Cotton. So we'll see how that goes. But again, I think Scott is, is a good enough athlete. I think he's long enough. 
And I think he's athletic enough to play the position. It's just a matter of how well he's going to hold up against some of the best guys that you're that you're playing out there. And it's going to ask a lot of him, but you can help him as well in terms of what you do schematically. And I think, again, that's something that Norvell does well. I mean, similar to what Jimbo did when they were not uh, necessarily always in the best personnel situations up front. There are ways you can hide that in terms of how you scheme. You don't do it the lethal simplicity way where basically you depend on those guys actually being dudes. You find ways to hide what they don't do quite as well. And, and I think... Norvell is closer to Jimbo on that in terms of the way that he does things with his protections and all of those things and how he schemes and, and, and calls plays than, uh, than maybe what Florida State had the prior couple years. All right, so um, next question. Can any of the new freshman defensive ends, uh, do, they, do any of them have potential to be 10-plus sacks in a year? Not this year. I, I don't think so. Not this year. But Peyton or Wilson, I think, with development, could be 10, 10 plus sack guys down the line. I think they they have the burst, the bend, uh, the length to be those kinds of guys down the line. I'm not sure they will become that because they're already recruiting over them to some extent. Uh, if you land a uh, Marvin Jones Jr., for example, he's going to start. He's a guy that's going to come in and be an instant impact guy over those guys. They'll rotate in, though. But, I mean, are they going to get enough with you know that guy <laughs> getting those reps uh, to be double-digit guys? Maybe not, but do they have the potential? I, I think absolutely. That's one of the one of the things that I was most uh, pleased about in terms of the recruiting class that they landed. All right, next question. If everyone stays healthy on the offensive line, can this line be at least average or be better than average? I think average would be probably what you'd hope for there. I don't think they're likely to be better than average. Uh, but I think this I think the the starting offensive line can be average. I think they can be right in the middle of the ACC area and be good enough to win. That's, I, th- I think that's, that's pretty solid. Again, I don't think you're looking at necessarily better than the, uh, than the conference average, but I think they can be around the average if everyone stays healthy on the offensive line. If one of the tackles goes down, it's very bad. <laughs> it's just very bad. All right. Next question. Is there a good chance that this defense can be a top 60 defense? That's a tough one. Um, Because they were, what, around 100 last year. It's a big improvement. And the big issue, so if we're talking opponent-adjusted metrics, I I think so. I I think there's enough talent there, especially in the starting group, to be that. But that's probably around the the space that I would expect. They need to be there. Otherwise, I think Fuller is going to have a lot of questions asked in the offseason. Because they do have enough talent to be better than that. But we'll see. Uh, I I think there's, there's a decent chance that they could be top 60 or above. Okay, final question for this one. Which two offensive and defensive players do you see breaking out this year? So I would look at Breakout as a guy who's not been the dude before. You know, he's he's uh, not broken out already. So that actually that wouldn't rule out a whole lot of guys because they haven't had guys break out all, <laughs> on this roster. The guys that are left haven't really been breakout players to begin with. So I, I guess that doesn't matter. Um, start with the defensive side. I really like Travis Jay at the corner position. Uh, I'm gonna I'm actually gonna go with two guys that are 
essentially newcomers at their at least at their positions on the defense. I think Travis J. Jermaine Johnson is an easy one because I think he's the best player at the at his position on the defensive side. So we're going to rule him out as kind of too obvious for this. But he he'd be the the obvious answer in terms of who do you think is is going to have the the best season. But I think Travis J and Akeem Dent would be my two choices given their flip-flop in positions. I think those guys actually have a chance of breaking out on the defensive side and creating some turnovers this year. Those are the two guys that I'd circle. And if they do break out, then this team has a chance to be a good bit better than uh, than they might be projected otherwise. That that's 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 where I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Jay and Dent as breakout uh, defensive players. On the offensive side, I'm going to go with Helton. I think Helton is going to be the guy that that probably generates more big plays on the offensive side than than some of the other guys. Um, I'm going to go with Keyshawn Helton as as number one, and I think Jay Sean Corbin is uh, is going to be a guy that is going to have a better than perhaps expected season. Maybe not a breakout season, but I think he's the other guy that that you you'd put in there as a potential breakout. And I'm going to have a I'm going to put a watch on Malik McLean for the second half, you know, final quarter of the season to see maybe he has he's he's showing signs of being ready for a breakout next season. That's that's kind of what I would expect from him. So that would be where I fall in on all of that. We're not quite to the bottom of the uh, of the mailbag here in terms of the stuff that I'd selected, but we're we're at uh, a time that I think it's about ready to to call it. So I'm going to go ahead and and push some of these others, which I think are better suited to the uh, season preview podcast. Anyway, I'm going to put those out on the pre preseason uh, preview podcast, which is going to come tomorrow, and then we'll be uh, getting ready for the Notre Dame game and doing some pregame analysis of that. And I'm going to go ahead and wrap there. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast Shop, which features stickers, magnets, and other Seminole gear. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts, host us on social media, and tell a friend. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. Special thanks to those above the bleach numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. As well as Jonathan Kennedy and Tyler Kashishki. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this. <laughs>